Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. It's it up to McCaffrey. There he goes. It's a C-Mac attack. This is Desmond Johnson on the Believe and Carolina Panthers podcast. Here on the Believe Podcast Network the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. We're available in your favorite directories, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can also find us at Believe.com and at Believe Podcast on Twitter. On today's show, from the Believe in Patriots podcast, Brady Farkas joins the Believe in Panthers podcast. But first, it's the opening drive. And welcome to another edition of the Believe in Carolina Panthers podcast. I am your host, Desmond Johnson, joined by my esteemed co-host. He is the first Panthers defensive player ever drafted in franchise history, uh, two-time Super Bowl winner, cornerback Tyrone Poole. What's going on, Ty? Hey, Desmond. Always great to be back in Carolina talking to the Carolina Panther fans. Keep pounding, baby. Keep pounding. We're definitely glad to have brought you on to the podcast uh, going forward. And we, we had a little bit of Panther news, sort of, kind of, while we were gone for 4th of July uh, last week. The biggest uh, explosive news, uh, former Panther quarterback Cam Newton, now a New England Patriot, which I know probably uh, makes a lot of Panthers fans' ears curl back. Um, uh-huh. the, Pat- the Patriots are not exactly one of our favorite teams around this area, but uh, <laughs> we didn't get a chance to talk about this last week, and I wanted to, to touch on it now that the, the deal is official. Basically about a million-dollar type deal. Cam's already been on on social media saying, you know, it's not about the money, it's about respect. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. What, are you, what are your thoughts? Because you are, the two Super Bowl rings you have were with the New England Patriots in 2003 and 2004, so you have played under coach bill belichick uh and 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 if anyone would know you know what it's like to come in as a player that's used to being on another team doing a a totally different way of preparing for you know football and life it would be you so i'm so glad that you've joined on with this here because i wanted to pick your brain about this when i heard it how do you Uh think ty that uh cam will adjust to bill belichick and vice versa because cam you know cam is a uh He's the type of guy, he's not a normal cat, <laughs> so to speak. Uh, kind of walks to the beat of his own drummer, which sounds like a contradiction uh, going into New England. How do you think he's going to be able to come in and possibly uh, get a starting role here? Well, I'll say this. In 1996, going back in the time capsule for a little bit, almost had an opportunity to go to the Super Bowl here in Carolina. Yes. You know, so I could have very much have won my first Super Bowl in my second year. But going forward, I say with Cam, he's motivated. And how do I know that? Well, this is how I know this, because I experienced what Cam is experiencing, which is that motivation. When I was traded from Carolina to the Colts. I knew talent-wise, I had everything to be a professional player. Cam believes the same thing. He has all the tools to be a professional quarterback. So it wasn't about the money, so to speak. It was about, okay, I'm going to show all those who stopped believing in me what I could do. And for me, I went on and 
focused on my game and got my mental right and got my skills better and ended up playing in, in New England and winning a championship. But again, this is just the nature of the beast. Teams, they give up, they let players go, and the players take that as motivation and they go out and they make themselves better. And I think that's, this is what Cam is going to do. He's going to a team that I definitely believe Belichick is a guru when it comes to taking players and allowing them to play to their strength. You look at Randy Moss, Troy Brown, Troy Brown. Troy Brown was a wide receiver. We were depleted. And again, I'm just talking about the genius of Belichick to take someone's gift, their ability, and help make the team better or continue to allow the team to win. And Troy Brown was a wide receiver. And Troy Brown had enough skills that Belichick recognized. And he put Troy Brown over a defensive back and Troy Brown playing in the slot. Now, of course, he gave Troy Brown a little more help, but he understood his abilities. I think Coach Belichick is doing the same thing with Cam Newton. I think he understands how uh, talented Cam is, and he's played against mobile quarterbacks and probably had some trouble with mobile quarterbacks. So now he has an opportunity to have a mobile quarterback in his own wheelhouse with the ability that he knows how to make adjustments and put pressure on defenses. I think this is going to probably be something very, very spectacular. Only, only if, like you mentioned, Cam is sometimes a different beast. If Cam Newton comes in, and I hope Cam is listening to this podcast, if he goes in with his glass empty, not half full, empty, and he sits down and he says, Coach Belichick, show me everything that I need to know to be great in your system. And I promise you, Cam, Carolina will look back and say, what did we do? Why did we let this guy go? Now, that's a question I was going to ask you here in just a bit about the Panthers and maybe some regret down the road. But I wanted to touch on something you just touched on uh, in terms of Bill Belichick. I've always said Bill Belichick and Nick Saban are almost kind of like a yin and yang. They're almost like the same guy, sort of. Uh, everyone knows they're good friends. Uh, Saban's worked underneath Bill Belichick as a defensive coordinator yes. before in Cleveland. Uh, they they see each other throughout the year. Uh, there's a fantastic HBO documentary on uh, on them, the two uh, Belichick and Saban, uh, yes. the art of coaching uh, that really gives insight in what they do. And they they pick each other's brains a lot in terms of uh, players. Belichick will ask about this particular Alabama player. Uh, Saban will ask questions to Belichick. What does he think about this guy? And you said something a couple of minutes ago that I've noticed with both of them and what they've done accordingly is that that both of them, Nick Saban and Bill Belichick, they seem to have issues with mobile quarterbacks. Uh, Cam Newton's undefeated against New England uh, in his career. I think he's 3-0, 4-0, something like that. And he tends to go off whenever he would play against them. And I, I just have images in my head of Patriots just kind of scrambling around trying to contain this guy. Nick Saban the same way, whether it was Tim Tebow or Cam Newton at Auburn or really the nail in the coffin was Johnny Manziel at Texas A&M. At that point, Nick Saban started bringing in guys that were more mobile. Jalen Hurts to a tag of Aloha. Like they, he, he kind of changed the type of quarterback that he wanted in his system, almost like a if you can't beat him, join him type thing. So when I heard this happen, that Cam had signed with New England, my first thought was, 
oh, okay, they're going to do what Alabama did a couple years ago. They're basically going to change their offense to the point where, you, you know, the run, the quarterback becomes somebody you have to defend. You know, a lot of times you don't have to defend the quarterback because he's not a threat to run out of the backfield unless you're playing a team with a guy like Cam Newton who has that ability to get out there. So you did touch on that, and I think that might have been one of the things that Belichick was paying attention to, uh, the league changing to these guys like Pat Mahomes that uh, we'll talk about here in just a bit, that are a bit mobile, can get out of the pocket, can actually run, can run RPO, and it just changes everything your offense can do. It's really hard to defend. Um, Ty, how much of a threat do you think the Patriots are going to be in the AFC with Cam Newton? I know they say he's going to fight for the starting job or whatnot, but between me and you, we, we he's going to start. <laughs> he's going to. Yeah. I can't see him not starting over Jared Stidham or Brian Hoyer. Uh, it just I don't see that happening. What do you think? What what's the limit for these Patriots this year going into it, knowing that they have a you know a top five defense returning and. Uh, they've got some pieces on offense, but we've seen them do more with less. So what are, what are your expectations with Cam Newton as the starting quarterback of the Patriots? Again, with mobile quarterbacks, like you said, being president, the offensive schemes are changing. It used to be you built your team from the inside out, offensive line, defensive line. Now is you build your team from the outside in. You go get wide receivers. It's a passing game, but still you got to run the ball. You still got to block. So the offensive line still is important. Cam or any type of mobile quarterback gives any defensive coordinator a headache. That's why they have spies. They have a spy. I'm pretty sure Luke Kinkley, while he was here in Carolina, they would spy him. You spy the quarterback or you would, they would have someone, maybe a safety. So what that does, it eliminates that extra guy that you would have in your coverage. So now, again, I believe Cam is going to give an already, we consider, brilliant coach in Belichick and Josh McDaniels, who's his predecessor, so to speak, if Belichick ever shuts it down. But those two now have an opportunity to utilize something that they feared as a defensive coach, Coach Belichick feared a mobile quarterback. Now he has an opportunity to leash that on the AFC East, to leash his version of a mobile quarterback and Josh ability, McDaniel's ability to take a mobile quarterback and create havoc. So what I think you're going to get, you're going to get a mobile quarterback who thinks in the same system that Tom Brady was brought up in. So you're going to get, a, I believe, a Cam Newton who will learn more football than he's probably learned in his early career. I always tell people Michael Vick. Michael Vick pretty much said it himself. He learned a little bit more football when he went and played up under Andy Reid. I was just thinking about Vick, yeah. Yes, exactly. So I think you're going to see if Cam comes in with that glass empty. That is the key. He has to come in. I'm not worried about his injuries. Medicine, technology, all that stuff will get him healthy. He'll get smarter. But his mental is the only thing can keep him from hopefully one day getting a Patrick Mahomes type of contract. And I do believe he can do that. He's still young. He's 31 years old. And Tom Brady has let the league know that you can play into your 40s if you take care of yourself. So just think Cam is a more athletic quarterback. So I, it's going to be ugly if, again, Cam keeps his head on his shoulders. 
here in the opening drive in the Believe in Carolina Panthers podcast. Uh, my uh, Desmond Johnson and Tyrone Poole chopping it up about Cam Newton to the Patriots. I did want to move on to another quarterback who made a little bit of news uh, this past week, uh, and that would be Mr. Super Bowl MVP Patrick Mahomes. Uh, Pat Mahomes signing uh, the largest deal in pro sports history, uh, a 10-year deal that could be valued up to $503 million uh, only 141 million is actually guaranteed for Andrew. I say only 141 million. Um, it, it, it's actually on the surface when you first see the numbers tie, you're like, "Whoa, that's half a billion dollars for a football player. That's insane." But once you really start breaking the numbers down, and Bill Barnwell had a fantastic article on uh, ESPN.com that kind of breaks down what this deal is. Uh, really, mm-hmm. it's it's really more like a four year extension. He had two years left on his rookie deal. That he's playing through Kansas City right now. I think he's gonna get like he got like sixty plus million at signing, um, and then he'll have another eighty million or so in guaranteed, uh, even from injury uh, money over the first three or four years of this deal. But uh, from my understanding, the Chiefs can get out of it relatively early after the guaranteed money's paid. Mahomes has an out where he can get out uh, and and you know go back and renegotiate as well. And his cap hit per year is actually pretty tolerable. So this is a good or a bad deal for the Chiefs. When you first saw this, Ty, what, what was your initial reaction? And then actually learning about the deal, where are you now in terms of this uh, blockbuster deal that uh, Pat Mahomes signed this week? Yeah, I think everyone was under the same impression that I was. We just saw the number. <laughs> we saw the number five zero. That's a two. big number. Yeah, that's a big number. Million. We're not talking about no five dollars and Woo. two cents. We're talking about five hundred and two million dollars. Unprecedented. But guess what? Get ready because you're going to see a lot of contracts like this being done. The salary cap, television, all that stuff. The money is continuing to pour in. So just like we've seen. 10 years ago, 20 years ago, Joe Namath, the biggest contract ever. Look at where the contracts are now. So I think this is just the first stepping stone of many contracts to come like this. And how it's structured, I think this is also a blueprint of how contracts are going to be uh, structured. But looking at his deal, of course, I just saw the 502. But then, like you say, once you start to break it down and really look at it, really, it's like you said, kind of like a four-year deal, so to speak, uh, is cap-friendly. But this is the one important thing I want the fans to to think about. It says in his contract that basically, I think after 2023 or uh, 2022, the incentives, the, the real contract kicks in. And the league year, every third, or the third day of the league year, basically – that's when Kansas City has an opportunity to say, you know what, Patrick Mahomes is not the Patrick Mahomes of last year, two years ago, three years ago. So we are going to release him. So that is one of the most important things that I saw in this contract. So really, it's roughly a year to year to year to year contract. Once you get past uh, 2021, you get into 2022, then it becomes a year to year to year because they're going to reevaluate him. hmm before the league year starts and that's what that's kind of how once you start looking at it I, I had the same thought as you i was like oh, okay wait a minute this is really more of like a it almost breaks down it's like like kirk cousins has a fully guaranteed deal in minnesota basically right and if you really look at it like that it kind of breaks down to like a four-year 
$141 million contract guaranteed fully. And then after, like you said, after 2023, both sides have the ability to renegotiate. So you're talking about a Pat Mahomes that would be, oh my gosh, he'd be what, 27, 28? When, when that came back around again, and he'd be ready for another block. It's almost like an Alex Rodriguez type situation where, you know, he signs a $250 million deal, gets through it, and then signs another 10-year deal for like $277 million, makes like half a billion dollars while he's playing baseball. It's almost like that, that they're doing this. And uh, to bring it back around to the Panthers, the Panthers just signed Christian McCaffrey uh, a couple years earlier than many people thought they should uh, to, if I'm not mistaken, the largest contract in, uh, for a running back in NFL history. Well-deserved, but a lot of people said it was early. It's almost like a new trend now to kind of sign these guys that – that you know are going to be the faces of the franchise, especially on offense, and signing them like two years before their rookie deal is done and adding those years on so that you're actually paying them in their prime as opposed to bringing in someone that might be past their prime and, and overpaying them for uh, for past production. Um, how, do you, how, do you, how do you think this is going to affect Dak Prescott and the Cowboys, uh, Ty, with this Pat Mahomes deal? Or do you think it affects it at all? Yeah, I think it is going to really affect the uh, – Jerry Jones, now, like you mentioned, he doesn't have that extension to add. Whatever money he's going to give Dak Prescott is going to be whatever those years are. And I want to say this as well. Peter King did an article in Football Morning in America using data from OverTheCap.com. And I'm talking about the length of these contracts and if the players actually reach those years, whether it's a three-year, four-year, five-year, six-year, 10-year deal like we are seeing with Patrick Mahomes, really a 12-year deal because he got the two extra years. But Peter wrote an article and gave some statistics. And in 2015, now these are contracts like three-year, four-year contracts, but he was talking about a three-year deal. In 2015 and 2016, there were 197 contracts of three years or more signed by free agents. And 121 of those 197 contracts that were signed in 2015-16, only 121 of those players, 121 of those players never made it to the third year of their deals. So that's about 60% of those contracts that was signed, they those players did not reach the full complexity of that contract. So I the same thing here. I don't see Mahomes doing it. Any player that's signing, whether it's Dak Prescott, and you got a lot of guys coming up. You got uh Deshaun Watson, Jamison Winston. I think Jamison Winston's gonna have an opportunity to see a lot of that money. He's still young. You got Lamar Jackson. So again, these guys, they this what we're seeing with Patrick Mahomes is just the beginning. The question is, will they see that big number, the whole tenure of that contract? And I just don't think that is possible, not with today's football, the injuries and so many things that can happen. So I guess it's best to get your money up front. That is what I try to look at, even with my contracts, when my agent was do my contract or when I look at the guys now, you want to get as much of your money up front as you can within those first four years or whatever if it's a 10-year deal you want to try to get as much money as you can within those first three to four years so that so in the end it looks like it's a great great deal for both sides pat mahomes and the chiefs um we'll see 
what happens with the Cowboys and Dak, they're running out of runway here. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, they have to have something, a long-term deal signed by July 15th. So we'll keep an eye on them as well. And then finally here in the opening drive here uh, this week, Ty, I realized that two years ago this week, Panthers owner David Tepper finalized the purchase of the Carolina Panthers. Uh, what are your thoughts on the past two years of the Panthers? Not so great on the field as they've been kind of flipping out front office and just kind of changing the uh, the overall theme and feel of the Carolina Panthers. What are your thoughts on the first two years of owner David Tepper's tenure so far and what he's meant to the Panthers franchise and to Charlotte? Well, I think the owner, you know, Tepper, I think being a business person, he would probably appreciate what I'm about to say. Leadership starts at the top and it's almost like taking oil and pouring it down linen. Whatever is poured at the top when you when it reaches the bottom it should match in quality what was poured at the top so by david tepper taking full ownership of the panthers he now is beginning his reign of pouring pouring his oil down the linen called the carolina panthers so that it reaches the bottom to whoever that may be working within that organization, then you will see the David Tepper, what his plans are, his vision are for the Carolina Panthers. Right now, it's just like gutting out and replenishing whatever it is, a house, or that's what he's doing with the Panthers. So now he has full reign. Now you will begin to see the oil being poured, the David Tepper oil, I'm going to call it, down the linen of the Carolina Panthers, and we're going to see what that thing looks like at the bottom within the next couple of years uh, or two. So there you have it there. So uh, a lot of good stuff going on there here in the opening drive. You're listening to the Believe in Carolina Panthers podcast with Desmond Johnson and Tyrone Poole. Coming up next, uh, he is the host of the Believe in uh, New England Patriots podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. Brand, uh, Brady Farkas joins us here next. And welcome back to the Believe in the Carolina Panthers podcast here on the Believe Podcast Network. Desmond Johnson here with you with two-time Super Bowl winner and the first defensive player ever drafted in Carolina Panthers history, cornerback mm-hmm. Tyrone Poole. We are joined by the host of the Believe in Patriots podcast, Brady Farkas. What's going on, Brady? What's up, guys? How are you? How are you doing, Brady? We're doing good. So we wanted to pick your brain a little bit. Uh, we're hurting a little bit down here. Uh, Superman's <laughs> gone. <laughs> uh, he's moved up north. Uh, what, what was your first thought when you heard that Cam Newton had signed with the Patriots? Man, it was, it was total shock because we had spent just months on end speculating about what the Patriots were going to do. And I had just become so – I don't think resigned is the right word because I have confidence in him, but I had just become so – accepting of the idea that Jared Stidham was going to be this team's quarterback in 2020. There's a lot of reasons why I felt that that was the right move. And I I thought the Patriots, you know, were going to and should take a gap year because, look, everybody wants to be good every year, but the Patriot fans have become so spoiled and real don't recognize that that's not really reality. So if they – if they play with Stidham and go 10 and six and win the division, then great. You know, you find a diamond in the rough and you move forward and you go to the playoffs this year and try to win it next year in the Super Bowl again. And if you're bad, you draft in the top five and you go get a young stud quarterback. I wasn't prepared for this kind of stopgap veteran. Yeah. I don't think any, well, I know in the beginning, like back in February, March, when we knew down here that 
it was about a 50 50 chance that the Panthers were going to keep Cam. And honestly, the writing was on the wall when we saw that, you know, Teddy Bridgewater was willing to sign for basically the same amount per year that Cam was due on his final year here. Once that was done, it was kind of like, okay, we kind of see what's going on here. Uh, they're kind of pushing him out, even though they said they were going to keep him. Um, look, I've been watching this dude on Instagram, working out the gospel music for like six months. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like it, it, he is on like another level right now. And we've talked about it before. I was on your podcast, I believe last week. And I had mentioned a, a, a motivated Cam Newton and Todd just touched on this in our earlier segment. Mm-hmm. A motivated Cam Newton is a, a very dangerous Cam Newton. Talk to us about how, um, Bill Belichick is when whenever he feels slighted because I feel like a lot of people had written off the Patriots outside of the New England area because he did not have Tom Brady anymore and hadn't won anything without Tom Brady. So I know that you know the hooded one has heard all of these uh quips about oh the Patriots can't do it without Brady and this, that, and the third. What are your expectations of this Belichick Newton combination? Is this like a scorched earth 07 type of situation where they just say, you know, screw it. We're just going to put 50 up on everybody we can to prove a point. Or do you think there's gonna be some growing pains uh, along the way? I mean, I, I just don't think the Patriots are capable of, of putting up 50 on everybody offensively. I, I, I think the Patriots baseline talent level is a seven and nine team. And mm-hmm. I just don't think that they come into this season particularly good outside of, you know, outside of the head coach. And now what we think is hopefully a healthy Cam Newton. I think Cam elevates this team to a a nine and seven record. I think that this team makes the playoffs now in an expanded playoff field. We're going to get seven teams per conference. So I I think that this move definitely improves them. I think that Belichick is going to be extremely motivated to, to prove that he can win and is able to win without Tom Brady here. So I think that there's a lot of similarity there between Cam and between the way that Belichick looks at things. Um, and I love motivated Cam just because I don't th- I, I don't think this was the right move for the franchise, but that doesn't mean that I don't I'm not excited about the idea of 16 Sundays here with Cam Newton. For 2020, this is a great move. I, I was looking at it more from the long-term health of the franchise, but I just don't think that this team right now is particularly that good. And there's so many questions about this team. One is Cam healthy? Two, can Cam pick up the offense in this COVID-19 world where you're not going to have preseason, et cetera? Um, and, you know, we hear all the time about what a hard offense is, it, offense it is to learn. So how quickly can Cam pick it up? And th- this team had so many injuries last year, and everybody has injuries in the NFL. But the Patriots were so injured last year that if they have those kind of injuries again, there's not enough talent on this team offensively to overcome a whole lot of things. And that doesn't even – factor in the idea that there could be players that opt out of the season. The Patriots have two offensive linemen with two starting offensive linemen with prior health concerns. One is a cancer survivor and one missed all of last season with blood clots. So if, if, if a player opts out and I have no knowledge that they will, but that's a possibility for every team. So injuries, opt outs, all those things can derail, you know, my high expectation of nine and seven and maybe 10 and six. Let me ask you, ask this question, Jared. I'm sorry, uh, Brady. Brady, I'm talking about Jared. Now, uh, yeah, I'm sorry about that, Brady. But do you think, do you really, really, really think that Jared was ready to step into and drive a vehicle, as you said, the New England Patriots fan? And I've been there. I've been there. Uh, uh, I understand that Boston, the fans, everything. 
So whenever I hear you talk and whenever you say something, I'm the perfect person to either say, yep, Brady is right on that one or nope, Brady, you got that one wrong. Though, Do you really think that Jared is ready to step in and drive a vehicle? As you said, the Patriots fans are spoiled. For the last number of years, they have been spoiled. They're used to winning. So do you really think he was ready to jump into that seat? Tom Brady just left. Or do you think they needed to have somebody to come in who understood the game, who knew how to win? And Cam was a former uh, MVP. I think that he's ready to come in and play. And I think that I think that for one year, even the spoiled Patriot fans could understand what the long-term play was here. That you get seven teams in the playoffs. If Stidham comes in and goes eight and eight, you still sneak in to that seventh spot. And then everybody at least has justified their 16 Sundays and they had a good investment in the season. You go get beat in the first round, but hey, you got some answers on Stidham. If they go 11 and five, then everybody's happy all over again. You try to win the Super Bowl next year. And if they bottomed out and went four and 12, then the Patriot fan just laughs at the rest of the league and says, yeah, you're happy that one year we were bad, but oh, by the way, we're going to go get Trevor Lawrence and we're going to get Justin Fields and we're going to do it again for 20 years. So I hope you enjoyed the 2020 off year and that was it. I think for one year, Patriot fans would have understood that. They didn't want a five-year rebuild. They're not ready for that. And if the if all of sports comes back the way it's supposed to, the Bruins had the number one, you know, had the most points in the NHL at the time the league stopped. They could play for a title deep into October. The Celtics are a team that people are talking about winning a title. They could be playing for a title deep into October. So there were other sports options on the table for the spoiled Boston sports fan to get behind that I think for one year they could have understood the Patriots taking a, you know, going through with a a, a plan to help the long-term future rather than just 2020. I, I want to speculate just for a brief second and then we're going to move on because this is what I think actually happened. Um, and, I, and I used to mention this every Saturday on my radio show down here in regards to the Patriots. I think the Patriots were going to draft Jalen Hurts. I think that was their 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 thought process. I think they were going to get him in the second round. And I think that what happened was the Eagles caught wind that they wanted him, traded up, and got Hurts before the Patriots could. Um, I think New Orleans were look, was looking at him too. Uh, but Hurts could have came in right away and started for, for the Patriots. Coach's son, from all accounts, he's very, very smart, articulate, a leader, uh, but also can run that RPO. And and me and, and Ty were talking about this in the previous segment, how Bill Belichick and Nick Saban are almost two peas in a pod where they both seem to have issues defending mobile quarterbacks uh, in terms of Cam Newton's undefeated against New England in his career yeah. thus far. You know, uh, they, they always had an issue with having to defend a guy that could get out of the pocket and run around. Uh, Pat Mahomes comes to mind. Uh, and we'll talk, we'll talk about him uh, in just a second. Um, I think that's what happened when Hertz kind of wasn't there and they were expecting him to not be there. The Patriots had the luxury of being able to wait instead of throwing, you know, 10 million, 12 million at Cam Newton. They just waited. And the, the market just literally just bottomed out with a, a number of different factors. And once Cam got to that point where he was like, you know what, I just want to prove I can still play as opposed to, I want to prove I'm worth X amount of dollars. New England sweeps in and they do what they, they usually do. They'll get somebody that, all the other teams have abandoned that still has a couple of years left in them at a, a pro bowl level type of uh, playing ability. And they squeeze that excess out and, uh, and get a good player out of it. So we'll see what happens with the Cam Newton uh, new England marriage 
as we get to 2020 uh, here shortly. Brady Fark is on the line with us from the Believe in Patriots podcast. You can actually follow Brady on Twitter at 1013RadioBrady. Um, I, I did want to actually pick your brain about COVID-19, uh, Brady, because it's affecting all of us here. Um, it is yet to affect the actual season in the NFL, other than the fact that they have canceled uh, two preseason games. But the closer we get to August, when and these teams are going to be reporting here in you know what a week or two, um, yeah. in theory, that that's what's out there right now that they're still supposed to report at the end of July. What are your thoughts? Like as you're staring at this and 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 doing your show every day and uh, doing this podcast for the Patriots and, that, and whatnot for Believe inside what are you thinking <laughs> because uh, me and ty have been going back and forth with this just trying to figure out the logistics of b- them being able to play an nfl season or any any football at any level really high school college or pro where are you right now in terms of are they going to be able to play this nfl season this year do you think like honestly i mean i think they're going to try to play they're certainly going to start they understand that the money is so great the money potential is so great the advertising potential is so great i think the players have more power than they usually do in terms of being able to negotiate safety regulations etc because they're supposed to get paid no matter what whether the season happens because there's none of that force majeure stuff you hear about in the nba where they can just start to take down player contracts for canceled games so i think the players can get this how they want to i would say i'm generally more especially in the Northeast now where things are better. I'm more conservative on the coronavirus stuff. Like I'm more paranoid about it than the average person, but I still think that they're going to to play. I still think they're going to start. I don't know that they um, don't run into where the season gets delayed by a week or two or where they you know, cut out a, a week at some point. I don't know that you're not going to have some kind of interruption, but I do think they're going to do their best to finish it. I think they're going to do their best to start it. Um, and it's really going to come down to, and, and Tyrone, I think you're going to know about this more than me, but it comes down to just the best thing I hear about football is the accountability in the locker room. It's going to come down to can players trust each other to do the right mm-hmm. things outside of the field? Because I think that these actual locker rooms, clubhouses in, in various sports, I think they're going to be very, very safe and everyone there is taking it really seriously. It's going to be, can you trust everybody on the roster to not go to a bar, to not go to a restaurant, to not do this, not do that? And I think those are the questions. But in football, especially, the accountability factor and the brotherhood is so great. I think, Tyrone, correct me if I'm wrong, wouldn't guys feel guilty being the one guy that's going out and doing the, quote, wrong thing? Hmm. You know, they would say, on a football play, don't be that guy. Yeah. So, same thing like you're saying, Brady. You don't want to be that guy that everyone says, okay, this guy didn't do or didn't practice the safety protocols, and this is why things are happening on our team. But I do believe that these guys are professionals. Uh, of course, you got a few guys that – you know, young guys that come in thinking they're invincible, but that's where the captains, the the guys that are the leaders of that team, they really set that young player down and say, hey, this is the way we do it here. Uh, and I'll say this as far as stoppage, if they start and they stop it, I think that would be detrimental. Yeah. Uh, myself being an athlete, you, 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 you can't stop an athlete. It's like a thoroughbred. You cannot have a thoroughbred to start running the Kentucky Derby and then say, okay, all the horses stop, stop. You can't do that. <laughs> I'm like, if you stop it and then wait for a week or so, I think the protocol is what 14 days or whatever, yeah. something yeah. you try to bring that guy back. You're now 
that guy's more susceptible to injuries now, maybe more career threatening injuries. So I think if they do stop it, it's going to be stopped completely and they just going to shut the doors down, period. I think the thing that we all need to understand is, is that it's going, I think they're going to play, like I said, but I think it's going to be weird and there's going to be, there's going to be things you didn't expect to happen that are going to happen. Like I said, I tell you, I don't think the Patriots have a ton of talent. Well, if the Patriots go to Kansas City or Seattle and there's no fans allowed, well, then all of a sudden the dynamic changes a lot. And maybe they go in and pull in a win when you can't have 100,000 people against you. That's going to be changing it up. What happens when a team's starting quarterback ends up in coronavirus protocol and the Patriots or someone else pulls out a win that they're not supposed to? Or, heck, I say the Patriots are going to go 9-7. and seven. What happens when it happens to them? And yeah. a team we don't expect them, you know, don't expect them to lose to comes and beats them. I think all of those things are going to happen. And as a result, maybe it happens just on a one-off, one-week thing, or maybe it happens where you end up with a team we all thought was going four and twelve ends up in the playoffs because they hit everything in their favor. I don't know, but there's gonna be weird oddities like that. On the line with us, Brady Farkas from the Believe in Patriots podcast. Uh Brady, I um do you think they're gonna have fans in the stands i say this because um you guys brought up a very good point about them maybe having to shave off weeks or whatnot we had joe person on with us from the athletic last week and we were talking about how no one really talked about this at all when it when they put the schedules out for the nfl uh maybe a couple talking heads here and there but if you really look at the schedules of all the the teams in the nfl the first four weeks of the season are almost throwaway games like for all of those teams there's bye weeks in there there's uh games against other teams and other divisions and then division play really starts like around week five throughout so if the nfl almost built in a plan b when they made their schedule that if worse comes the worse we can wait and start the beginning of october and start you know week five and play a 12 game season and be just as fine and still be on track to finish where they would in february um do you think that that what's the best and worst case scenarios here? That's what I'm trying to figure out because on one hand, I do agree that, you know, the NFL is this juggernaut. We have seen no indication from them that they are slowing down, even though cases, especially in the Southeast are rising considerably. Uh, there's been no indication from the NFL that they're even considering moving anything around, which we probably wouldn't expect anything less from the, uh, from the NFL, but Brady, what would be the best case and worst case scenarios here as we're literally two weeks away from players reporting to uh, to training camps. Well, they did the schedule, you know, they did the schedule weirdly. We thought we heard when the schedule was coming out that they were going to make the first four weeks, those throwaway weeks. And in the Patriots case, they're playing the NFC West. So they would just have all their NFC West opponents week one through four. And if they had to bag them, they had to bag them. But that isn't what they did. The Patriots open up with divisional play. The Patriots open up with the Dolphins. There's That's their week one game. That's game's got to get played at some point. So. Right. Um, you know, it isn't that way for every team, but there are a lot of divisional matchups early in the season. I mean, I think best case scenario is certainly just that you play the season 16, you know, 17 weeks, and maybe you don't have fans, but you get it all in in the time that it's supposed to get in. Worst case scenario, I think, is what Tyrone said that you you do what the NBA did, right? You play a bunch, and then you've got to stop, and then you've got to try to get back going again after a month or something. I think that's the worst case scenario. Yeah, and even with the NBA, I mean, it's been three months since they played. It's almost like starting a brand-new season and just picking up where they left off like a cliffhanger. And that's a little different because the NBA guys, they're they're used to, from age 10 up, playing in empty gyms, 
three games a day, AAU tournament, travel tournaments, you know, like they're, they're used to playing in environments where there's not a lot of people watching. You can play basketball or, or watch basketball for that matter without having the fan interaction. I'm a little worried about trying to watch NFL games without fans or without full capacity fans, because it, it does take away a little bit of the, the viewing experience. And I, and I learned this strangely, not from watching NFL football, but trying to watch WrestleMania over two nights in March with no fans in attendance. It just, it was a totally different experience. I didn't like it. It kind of soured me on watching a lot of sports uh, that you kind of need that, that constant roar, I guess, in the background. And football is the number one thing that's out there that just has that constant background noise of the fans. And I just feel, I don't know. I'm, I'm in a weird spot where I'm not sure if I want to even see it without fans, but at this point, beggars can't be choosers, so it looks like we we may have limited fans, if any, in some of these spots. I know some teams have made decisions on, yes, we'll have some fans, and some have said, no, we won't. So we'll see kind of from there. Um, I did want to leave you with this, Brady. Um, it is July, so obviously it's way too early to pick Super Bowl contenders. Okay. But we're going to try, we're gonna try anyway. Uh, <laughs> way too early picks for the Super Bowl. Uh, let's say in a... Uh, let's say we get through 2020, we play, you know, an 18 week schedule. We actually make it to the playoffs. Who do you like right now in the AFC and the NFC to meet uh, in the Super Bowl in February? Chiefs and Saints. Chiefs and Saints. Where, why are you going with the Saints? Because, uh, I mean, I, I know they're good, but uh, we're, I mean, Panthers, we're we're the Panthers podcast. I, so we got a question. <laughs> what? <laughs> why why I mean, Saints, Brady? <laughs> I still think that Drew Brees can play, especially indoors, good weather division, et cetera. Um, they obviously have some locker room chemistry stuff that they need to iron out, but it seems like that is moving in a more positive direction. I'm confident that cooler heads prevail there and productive conversations come out and everybody gets along for the season. But that offense just can be so dynamic. When you look at Kamara out of the backfield as both a runner and a catcher, when you look at um, Michael Thomas maybe being the best receiver in the NFL, Sean Payton, the improving defense, um, I think the Tom Brady-led Bucks are good. I don't think the Panthers are particularly strong going into this year. Sorry to say, and uh, yeah, we do. You're good. Yeah. <laughs> so we're, we're, I mean, we, yeah. <laughs> and and I'm I'm not a believer in Matt Ryan at this point. I mean, I think he individually can be good, but I don't think the team is particularly that good. So I think it's a winnable division, and I think the NFC East isn't that good. I think the NFC North has some question marks. I think Green Bay is good. I'm not that high on Minnesota. I think the NFC West is outstanding, but they're going to beat each other up so much. I think the Saints maybe get the number one seed. And in this year where the number two seed doesn't even get a bye, I think being a number one seed matters a lot. So I go Chiefs-Saints. Chiefs and Saints. Uh, Any thoughts on uh, here as we let you go? Any thoughts on the half a billion dollar deal that uh, Pat Mahomes (laughs) signed over the uh, past week. Now we we know, and we talked about in the previous second. He's not going to see five hundred million. Million. It's one hundred forty-one really over four years is really what the meat of that deal. Um, talk to us about that, and th- how is that a great deal for the Chiefs and Pat Mahomes going forward? It looks like they're going to have some money to keep some of his talent around him. The debate has been <laughs> the debate has been the last couple of days on our radio show is what's better value Mahomes at five hundred million or Cam at one million, uh, <laughs> and it's a good it's a good question, but I still think it's Mahomes, man. It, for the next couple of years, they can keep all that talent around and they won't fall into the Seahawks syndrome, the Packers syndrome, where you can't, where you can't pay other guys and other guys got to walk. They still have Tyreek Hill, they still have Travis Kelsey, they still have Frank Clark. We'll see what happens. With Chris Jones. So I think if they win a Super Bowl in the next two years, well, they can still afford people. 
I, I got to trust they can get at least one more, even as financial times get hard for uh, for for the Chiefs with Mahomes. But uh, Mahomes is is electric. He you know he might be the face of the NFL now that Tom Brady is on the back you know the back three of his career. At least a lot of people hope he's on the back three of his career. So um, uh, he's raised. <laughs> yeah, Mahomes is <laughs> Mahomes is great. He's electric to watch. Um, love Andy Reid. Happy that they won. So. Uh, I think it's a, you know, I think it's a good deal. And I think Patrick Mahomes is worth more to the Chiefs than he is to another team in the league just because it's always the best when you've drafted a guy, developed a guy, and uh and the fans respond to a guy. You're always gonna connect more with that guy than you are a free agent that you bring in who's kind of a you know uh a hired guy who comes out of nowhere. Brady Farkas with us here uh from the Believe in Patriots podcast. You can follow him at on Twitter at one zero one three radio brady brady thank you so much for doing this with us man uh hopefully we'll be able to have you back on the patriots and panthers are supposed to play week three of the preseason Uh, i i I haven't seen which games were canceled or whatnot i know they took out uh, a few of them if they happen to play uh we'd love to have you back on uh in august uh when that goes down and uh we can kind of see exactly what cam newton looks like in a patriots uniform well, we'll see. He's going to wear number one. Uh, that means Pat Patriot, the mascot, can't be number one after eighteen after an eighteen year run. So, I wonder if you had to we'll pay see. him some money for that. <laughs> so, and I got to say, I uh, I grew up partly in North Carolina, so I was actually there when the Panthers came into existence. So, oh wow! Um, you know, Kerry Collins uh, NFC title game, second year of existence. I followed that. My dad's all time favorite Panther, Wesley Walls, the old tight end, and uh, hey. and yes. Uh, Many, many uh, days of trying to figure out how to spell Biaka Batuka. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for doing this with us, Brady. We will talk to you again soon. Appreciate Thank it, you, guys. Brady. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.